My granddaughter, Kennedy, who is going to be four years old come December, is a very, very shy little girl. And often when she comes into a room of new people that she doesn't know or someone's talking to her that she's not very acquainted with, she'll just close her eyes and kind of turn her head as if that they disappear and she disappears. In fact, my wife, Udella, it's been several weeks ago now, we were at our Merida campus and my son Justin was walking through the lobby area carrying Kennedy and there were quite a few people there and they were trying to talk to him and to her and as she, they, they're walking through, Kennedy does her bit. She closes her eyes and she turns her head as Justin walks through. Later that afternoon, um, the kids came over to our house and Udella was uh, playing with Kennedy and said to Kennedy, Mimi saw you today when daddy was holding you, taking you through the lobby. And Kennedy looked at my wife and said, no, you didn't, Mimi. My eyes were closed. You couldn't see me. <laughs> now, wouldn't it be awesome if that were true? Wouldn't it be great if there were certain people you didn't want to have to deal with? or certain circumstances you didn't want to have to fool with, or certain issues you didn't want to have to face. And man, we could just close our eyes, and it's like it all disappears, and everything is fine. That would be awesome. I think of several things in my life I wish I could do that with, but we know that's not the case. And today, our tough topic that we're looking at, poverty may be one of those issues for us that we, we wish we could kind of just close our eyes to it as if it wasn't there and just kind of make it disappear. I mean, if you're like me, you've had those awkward moments. I think if we're all honest with ourselves. Where we're driving and we come up to a, a red light and we have to stop. And then right there on the corner, not five feet from your car, you see this homeless looking person, dirty, dressed in shabby clothes, has this sign, work for food or homeless, need food. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you face that moment. And what do you do? You want to, you're like, man, I'd like to help them, but... You know, I don't know if it's really legit. Are they going to take the money and just spend it on drugs or alcohol? And, and you feel this awkwardness. And so what do we do? We stare straight ahead and don't look at them as if they're not there and I'm not here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't we wish in some ways we could just close our eyes, boom, and then we'd be gone. And I don't think it's a matter of that we don't care about these people. It's a matter of what do we do? How do we even deal with this. But here's the deal. We can't close our eyes to it. And there's one main reason why we can't close our eyes is because God hasn't closed his eyes to it. In fact, the poor are very near and dear to God's heart. And he wants them to be near and dear to our heart as well. So we're going to kind of dive down to this. And you know, as I was looking at preparing this message, I've been in the pastoral ministry now for over 30 years. And to my knowledge, and shame on me, I don't know that I've ever preached just an entire message dealing with poverty. I've talked about poor and that type of thing in certain points or parts of different messages, but never an entire message. And man, I felt very convicted by that. And we want to look today at what God has to say about the poor among us and what he is asking us to do as responsibility to him and for them. And the first place we're going to look, and this is the primary place, there's some words from Jesus Christ that are very, very significant words that we really want to listen to. And this is in Matthew chapter 25. So if you happen to have a Bible and you want to turn there, or you want to turn on your, uh, you got a Bible app, that's fine. All the scriptures are going to be on the screen. But in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31, Jesus talks to us about the poor among us, and man, he connects it 
to judgment. This is what Jesus says. Verse 31, when the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now look what he says here. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and, you, and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then he goes on to talk about those who mistreated these very ones he lists there that didn't help them. And he basically says, you go into eternal judgment. These are very powerful words, significant words of Christ that we really need to take a look at. Now, there's three quick observations I want to make about these specific words before we dive a little deeper into what we're looking at in terms of dealing with the poor. The first observation about these words of Jesus Christ we just read is this. Who are these brothers of his? When he says, whatever you've done to the one of the least of these brothers of mine, who is he talking about? Now, there's been a lot of scholars and, and, and Bible theologians who have written a lot about who these possible brothers are. I believe, based on the context of what Jesus is saying here, that these brothers he's really referring to are his followers. Destitute, impoverished, persecuted followers of Jesus Christ. And he's saying how the nations treat these impoverished, persecuted followers of Christ, there's going to be judgment upon those people and how they have treated them. The second observation I want to make is about this idea of judgment. Because it sounds like here that Jesus is saying, based on our good deeds that we do to the poor Christians, is going to determine whether or not we have eternal life. In other words, it almost sounds like we, we earn and work through good deeds for our salvation. Well, when you look at the rest of Scripture, you know that's not the case. In fact, Pastor Jeremy just read a Scripture in our time of prayer about the grace of God, that eternal life comes through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that God freely offers to us through Him, and we receive by faith that we turn from our life of sin, we repent of a life of sin, and trust our lives to Jesus Christ by faith. And grace is the means by which we have salvation. Now, you can't earn it. We can't deserve it. So what might be Jesus saying here? And what it seems to be implying is that those who treat persecuted Christians with the heart of Christ, in essence, it's a, it's a reflection, it's a sign of their salvation. It's not a way of salvation. That they are, in essence, treating them with the heart of Jesus, that they have received this message of Christ, which is then translated in the way by which they treat those who are impoverished around them. And obviously, the opposite is true. Those who mistreat followers of Christ who are impoverished or persecuted is a sign of they've reflected this or rejected this message of Jesus, and so they have not received who Jesus Christ is. So he's not talking about a salvation by works. It's a sign of that salvation, not an act of that salvation. The third and final observation I want to make about these words is this, that although Jesus Christ seems to be talking about 
persecuted or impoverished followers of Christ. This same attitude of care and compassion that he's talking about in the rest of Scripture, we are to show to all that are poor, to everyone that is in poverty, whether they're a Christian or they're not a Christian. I like these words of Christ because he really kind of gives us a picture of who the impoverished are, what the poor look like. And I don't think we're harming the text in any way as long as we realize in these specific words of Christ, he's talking about persecuted Christians, but when we look at the rest of the teaching of Scripture, including Christ's teaching as well, we are to deal with the poverty, impoverished and those that are poor in the same type of care and compassion. Now, to see how important the poor are to God, all we have to do is look at the Old Testament. We can just look at the scriptures that were there at the time of Jesus Christ, the ones that the Jews would have known about and would have read and would have known God's heart for the poor. And when we look in the Old Testament alone, I want you to take a look at this. First of all, there are in the Old Testament, there's only three passages in the Old Testament that mention the name Satan by name. There's only four passages that address homosexuality. There are 324 prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about the Messiah. There's about 600 references to the temple. But then look at this. There's over 1,500 references about the responsibility of God's people to the poor. And we're just talking the Old Testament here. And when we think about the things we tend to focus on in Scripture and get wrapped up about in Scripture, I think it's very, very important that we realize, man, over 1,500 references about what God wants us, his followers, to do in terms of the poor around us. Now, for us to really understand what God is saying, we're going to look at every one of these 1,500 verses together. You ready? Turn to Genesis 1. No, we're not going to do that, obviously, but we're going to look at a few because I think this is very important. I really think we've got to feel the weight of this today. We need to feel the weight of what God is saying to us about the poor around us and our responsibility. Well, let's just look at how God looks at the poor. Psalm 146, verses 7 through 9. Look what it says. He, talking about God, upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. The alien would be someone who's not a Jew. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Look at God's heart for those that are poor. Then he tells his people what he wants them to do. In Deuteronomy, 8, Deuteronomy 10 verses 18 and 19, talking, about, talking to the Jewish people, he says this. He defends, talking about himself, defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. And loves the alien, the non-Jew. Giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. He's saying, I love those that are poor. I want you to love them too. And then Proverbs tells us, in the way we treat the poor, it really is a reflection of how we view God. Proverbs 14, 31, listen to what it says. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. These words we've read in the Old Testament sound a whole lot of what Jesus was saying a moment ago in Matthew 25. And then we come to Jesus in Luke chapter 4, where the Messiah is coming on the scene. And Jesus Christ, in this episode in Luke 4, is standing in a synagogue as a part of their worship service. And something interesting happens. He reads a prophecy. And in this prophecy, he's basically saying, this is the sign that the Messiah has come, and I am that Messiah. Look what he writes or, or, or reads in Luke 4. 
It says in verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's saying, you want to know the sign of the Messiah is here? The one who his primary audience are the impoverished. His primary audience are the disenfranchised. His primary audience is the outcast. And that's the spirit of the Messiah. And that's what he wants, the same spirit of his followers. And then the very brother or half-brother, if you will, of Jesus Christ, James. He writes in the New Testament. And he writes about the attitude we're to have when it comes to this idea. In James 2, verses 2 through 4, this is what he writes. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James is basically saying, hey, we're to treat everybody no worse or no better than anybody else. We're to treat them in the same way, to give them the same value. We have to take a look at our own discriminatory attitudes. And so, man, when we see just a few verses, what the Bible tells us, God's basically saying this. Those that are poor, those that are impoverished, they are near and dear to my heart, and I want them to be near and dear to your heart. I love them, and I want you to love them. So who are we talking about when we're talking about the poor? Who, what is this thing of poverty? Well, the government helps us out a little bit, and the government tells us, if I've read this correctly, that... A family of four living on an income equal to or less than $24,250 is considered to be in the poverty level. Family of four living on equal to or less than a yearly wage of $24,250. But sociologists tell us that when we talk about the poor and the impoverished, it's not just a money issue. It's not just a financial issue, though obviously we don't want to downplay the money issue side of things. If you've ever been there and you're not really sure how you're going to make ends meet, and some of you might be there right now, that money issue becomes a very big deal. But sociologists tell us that when we look at this idea of, the, of poverty, that, 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 that the money, the financial side is really a symptom. The disease is that people impoverished, they feel completely isolated and disconnected and pushed aside from society. And they have no sense of, of, of hope or a sense of help. That they have no real way by which to better themselves. They feel like they're totally outcast. With no real possibility of getting better. A complete sense of isolation. Which then leads them kind of in this spiral of continuing to live in impoverished ways. Because it's the only thing they see that's available to them. Dr. Josh Rice, who's one of our teaching pastors here at Mount Perry North. In fact, he's teaching and preaching at Mount Perry North Marietta campus today. When I'm here, he came up with a, a definition. He coined a definition of poverty that I like, that I, that I want to share. And this is the idea of those in poverty. Is to, to live in poverty means to be disconnected from relationships and roadways that allow a person to live at God's best. Will you read that definition out loud with me, please? To live in poverty means to be disconnected from relationships and roadways 
that allow a person to live at God's best. That's that sense of, I, I don't really feel like I have a relationship with anybody or connection to people or resources that can really help me move past this to get better. And I think we, the church, need to be both the place where they can find those relationships as well as a roadway by which we can help them discover and know God's best for their lives. So then, what can we do? I mean, pastors, it's everywhere. 40% of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. It's everywhere. And that's the overwhelming thing. But there's three areas I want to share with you very quickly that I believe the, God, the, the, the Bible kind of positions us that we can help people get connected and find the roadways. The first area is personally, just with our own personal relationships. And you may be going, man, where do I even begin, you know? I mean, listen to the words of Jesus back in Matthew 25. What did he say? He said, feed the hungry. He said, clothe the naked. He said, uh, give uh, water to the thirsty. Visit the prisoner. Take in the stranger and take care of the sick. I mean, that's a lot of stuff. Do I have to do all that? I don't even know how to begin to make connections there. Remember what he said. Yeah, he listed all of that. But what was the next thing he said? Whatever you've done to one of the least of these brothers of mine. He didn't say you had to deal with all of it. He said, whatever you do to one of these. And when I hear Jesus saying there, what are we doing about the poverty in our pathway? In other words, in our own personal lives and kind of our daily routines of life, what is the poor that we might see around us? What is the poor that we come in contact with? Who are we in relationship that may be less off then we are. Who do we know in our workplace? Who do we know in our neighborhood? Who do we know within the church body that may be just less off than we are? It doesn't have to be somebody living under the underpass in a box. Um, underpass. How do you live under an underpass? Live under an overpass. I don't even know what an underpass is. Live under the overpass in a box. It doesn't have to be that. I mean, if you come in contact with those types of folks in your daily routine, then yes, that may be something you need to open your eyes to. But in your, just your daily relationships, who are those that are just less off than you are? You know, my wife and I, we, we really try to practice this. We, we aren't perfect at it, and we can do a whole lot better about it. There's no doubt, but we do try. And what we tend to look at is, who, as I'm talking about, who within our relationships we know that aren't as well off as we are, that, man, they, they are really fighting it to, to make ends meet. And maybe they're not as the government defines someone in poverty. My wife and I, over the 31 years of marriage that we've had together, we've given away three or four different cars. Instead of trading it in to get a lower discount on the car we might be buying or selling it ourselves to get money to help with that, who do we know in relationship that needs a car? And we've, we've given them away. We've given away all kinds of clothes. There's a couple of different pastors in this city that are walking around wearing my suits and wearing my clothes. Now, they're, they're tall pastors, keep in mind. You know, if Pastor Jeremy needed clothes, I don't think I'd give him mine. That would look a little odd. Wait, wait, wait. I don't understand this. How can the campus pastor rebuke the senior pastor? I may be out here once a month, but you still work for me. 
And I'm not, please hear me, I'm not bragging on that. I'm really not. I'm just, I'm hoping I'm just sharing examples of, I think what Jesus is saying to us, let's don't just stare straight ahead at the red light anymore. Let's open our eyes. Don't be a Kennedy. Let's open our eyes and let's be confident about that. Uh, My wife, this was maybe a, a couple of three months ago, uh, uh, one of our kids that, w- w- that grew up at Mount Perrin North and went away to Lee University and he recently graduated but while he was there our daughter was there at the same time and this kid put on Facebook my car is running on fumes and prayers please pray and we know this kid and he comes out of really kind of an impoverished situation within his family he was at Lee on a complete scholarship just because of his talent but my wife read that and she inboxed our daughter, who we had given a, a fuel card to put gas in her car. And she inboxed our daughter and said, you get with him and you fill up his car with our card. That kind of thing. Who do you know? And you think, if you're sitting there going, man, I just really don't know, then I encourage you, pray. Lord, open my eyes to what, who might be in my, in my relationship. Let, help me to see. Bring me into the life of somebody. Because it isn't the idea of throwing money at them. It's the idea of maybe building relationship. That through the help of the Lord, we can be a roadway to help them get to where God's best is. So personally, a second area I would say to you is locally. That getting involved with a larger group of people that might have greater impact on what's happening locally around us, getting in with an organization that works with the poor. But I would encourage you as you do that, you really check that organization out, that they're doing more than just throwing a handout, that they're working in ways to help people get better, help people better their lives and get out of that that poverty line and to move into lives of of self-sufficiency. But there are larger organizations, and I'll just give you one right now that's an excellent one that you might want to consider, and that is Mount Perrin North Canton Campus. We've been partnering out here in the Cherokee County area with Must Ministries. Between both campuses, Marion and Canton, over the summer, with about 40 different volunteers, we made over 9,000 lunches for their summer kids lunch program. That's the largest number of lunches any church in the area made for Must Ministries. And I've got to be honest with you, I'm proud of that for our church. Cherokee County schools, last year, if I've got the numbers right, I may be off a little bit here, but of the 38,000 some odd students in Cherokee County schools, 34.24% of those kids are on a reduced or free lunch program. That's some 12,700 some odd students. I know that we've been working with an organization, what's the name of it? Give a Kid a Chance, which... We've been working with to help reduce that, help meet that need. We're praying about other ways by which we can do that. At the Mount Perrin Marietta location, we have been, uh, had the opportunity over the past four or five years now to have had an opportunity to connect with a school in our area. That, and when I say our, I'm talking about the Marietta area. That's, that's the area where I live. In, in that area that, that most of the students are on free or, or reduced lunch programs. I mean, it's a very impoverished student body. 
And God's opened doors to us. We've, we've been able to prepare food for them and do lunches for them and that type of thing, as well as now we have a mentoring program with those kids in there. And we've started what's called the Good News Club, which volunteers go in on a weekly basis and they share the gospel with these kids. The, the, the school has opened the doors to us to do this. Go in and share the gospel with these kids and teach them the Bible. Many kids have come to Christ. Now that's been over a period of several years of building relationship with them. We are serious about having an impact on the poor and the poverty in our area. And man, just take a look at what what we might be involved with. You might be involved in some things we don't even know about. That you know, man, this is an organization. This is just throwing money at people. But man, it's really doing something to help them move out. Come share that with Pastor Jeremy. It might be something we want to get behind. We're just talking about the poverty in our pathway. And then a third and final area I would share with you in which we could have impact. That's globally. Believe it or not. Little old you right here in Canton, Cherokee County, Canton, Canton, Georgia can have impact worldwide. It's amazing. I want to tell you two ways you can do this. Very quickly. Number one, we are having down at the Marietta campus on October the 24th. I know this sounds like commercials. I get that. But listen, I want to just show you pathways, stuff right in front of us that doesn't take a ton of effort, that we can be doing the very thing that Jesus Christ is asking us to do. But at our Marietta campus on October the 24th, just several weeks away, we're holding what we're calling Run North 5K. It's a 5K run, which is three miles, raising, and you can run, walk, or roll, whatever you want to do, crawl, whatever, however you want to do it. You can do it virtually. We're going to try to create an app. You can do it virtually if you want. Raising money for orphanages in 25 different countries. And these are orphanages not just throwing money at the situation, but they're taking care of these abandoned kids and helping them get placed in good homes. This is a Church of God denomination initiative. And man, this is a wonderful opportunity. We're going to have a one-mile inflatable run for the kids as well as the 3K. It's going to take place right on our campus and in the roadway areas right around our campus in Marietta. Invite families to be a part of this, Christian or non-Christian. They love to give to things like this as well. And it's just an easy way to have impact on a kid, man, that may not have another opportunity. Another global way you can really have impact, and that's through our missions ministry at Mount Perrin North. I want you to hear this. Very few churches have the opportunity we have around this world. We support 12 missionaries, 75 missionary partners in 17 different countries. And within every one of these, for the most part, they themselves are doing things to impact poverty and the poor in their area. I just want to share very quickly just a few. In South Africa, in the area in which we minister, 70% unemployment in that area. It's one of the most impoverished areas in all of South Africa. When we go build churches, we also dig wells because these areas have a hard time getting fresh water. We dig wells to help meet that need. In Cuba, we also dig wells in the churches that we are helping to build in communities that get very little water or none at all from the government. We also help to support about 30 pastors in Cuba that are in impoverished conditions. In Liberia, we support Ebola relief programs and emergency food programs during national crisis. In India, we're helping with medical relief. In fact, 
We're a part of building an $80,000 ministry center that's going to host a medical clinic where minor surgical uh, uh, procedures can be performed. In Russia, we're a part of the feeding project to the homeless that are in the local ghettos and garbage dumps in the Russia area where we minister. In Uruguay, we're a part of the children's feeding program. We're a part of nursing homes. We're helping to encourage them and working with people just to meet their daily needs. And listen to this. Just recently, we made a $10,000 donation to feed and house 148,000 displaced Christians living in refugee camps located in Iraq and Syria because they're getting away from ISIS. Oh, listen, man, just through having some type of monetary investment in at Mount Perrin North Canton campus in our missions ministry, you're impacting these kind of folks. But I want to encourage you not just to consider doing it financially, be a part of a short-term mission trip. Go and build relationships with these people. This is a pathway that is right in front of you. If Canton is your home church, every Sunday, that globally, you and your family can have amazing impact. Personally, locally, globally. Simple pathways without a whole lot of effort. Man, we can be doing the very words of Jesus Christ. In closing, let me say this. There's two attitudes that I want to encourage us to avoid. And you know what it means when a preacher says in closing, don't you? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Two attitudes I want to encourage us to avoid. The first attitude is cynicism. Say cynicism. I know there are poor out there that are con artists. I know there are those out there that they have no interest in getting better. They just want a handout. They want to feed whatever destructive habits that they have going on, perhaps. And maybe you've been burnt by them. Maybe you've looked to help, and all of a sudden you realize this person was conning you. Let me say this. Don't become cynical. Learn from it. But let's continue to do what God asks us to do. I have been burned. My wife and I have been burned. We have been conned. And it's not a good feeling. But man, don't become hard-hearted towards it. Because God didn't say that. God didn't say, unless they take advantage of you, then don't have anything to do with it. That's not what he says. He really doesn't put any conditions on it. I would encourage you, if you find yourself saying or feeling like, you know, they're just lazy and those poor, they're just going to take advantage of you. And some will. But some are in legit need. And for their sake, we don't want to develop the cynical attitude. The second attitude I would encourage us to avoid is the opposite extreme, enablement. We don't want to just keep helping somebody contribute to their destructive lifestyle. We want to make sure that they're really wanting to change. And if we find that they're just basically taking advantage of and they're using our money to just, or whatever we're providing them to just continue in their destructive ways, and they have no real desire to get better, then yeah, we want to withhold helping them for those that are legit. And we want to explain why. You know, there's a saying that says, let mercy limit mercy. In other words, when the merciful aid that we're providing becomes unmerciful, in that it's just helping them stay in their condition they're in, then we need to withdraw it and let them feel the weight of lack and let them feel the weight of needing to turn to God. But when they turn to God, we want to be there ready 
with open arms, when they want to change their ways, when they really want to get better. Does this make sense what I'm saying to you? Let's avoid the cynicism, but let's avoid the enabling as well. In fact, and I'm going to invite the band to come up. So see, I wasn't lying. I am closing. I'm going to invite the band to come up. I think the way, if I'm a follower of Christ in this room, we've really got to look at the poor around us. Obviously, we've got to look at them through the eyes of Jesus Christ. But I believe in doing that, we've got to look at them through our own eyes of one, there but the grace of God go I. And number two, that all of us, whether we've ever been in impoverished physical conditions, every one of us has been impoverished spiritually. And we didn't deserve any help from God. Yet he gave it to us. When Pastor Jeremy was reading the scripture a moment ago in our prayer time about the grace of the Lord and him giving his grace of forgiveness to us when we didn't deserve it, I was kind of thinking in my mind of this sermon, just kind of thinking of just, just parts of it in my mind. And this scripture from, that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, had I thought of it when I was preparing the message, I have a slide for you, but I, it came to me when I was standing right down there. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. How do I look at the poor? I look at them by saying, hey, I once was there, maybe not physically, maybe not sociologically, but man, I was spiritually. And if it were not for the grace of Jesus Christ, I would still be impoverished. Tim Keller, great pastor up in New York, written several books. I love his stuff. In a book he entitles Ministries of Mercy. Here's what he says. And I'm going to close with this and then pray. He says, There are two powerful effects that the gospel of grace has on a person who's been touched by it. First, the person who knows that he has received mercy while an undeserving enemy of God will have a heart and love for even and especially the most ungrateful and difficult persons. When a Christian sees prostitutes, alcoholics, prisoners, drug addicts, unwed mothers, the homeless, the refugees, he knows that he's looking in a mirror. Perhaps the Christian spent all of his life as a respectable middle class person. No matter. He thinks, spiritually, I was just like these people. Though physically and socially, I never was there that where they are now. They are outcasts. I was an outcast. The second major effect that the gospel of grace has on a person is that it creates spontaneous generosity. I tell you what, as I mentioned, I've never, ever preached a whole message on this one particular subject. But i got to tell you something. Man, as I was doing this, God really convicted my heart. Not, not in a condemning, guilt-ridden way, because that's not the way God works. But I think what he was saying to me, Mark Walker, open your eyes. There's poverty in your pathway. And I just want you to see it in your daily sphere of influence. And prayerfully come to me about looking, how can I be a part of the pathways in front of me to do whatever for one 
of the least of these, my brothers. Would you stand with me, please? I tell you, I'm praying. Mount Perrin, North Marietta, Mount Perrin, North Canton. We're going to be a roadway for the poverty, for the poor. We're going to be a place of redemption. We're going to be a place of relationship. We're going to be a place. There's a lot more I think God has for us to do in this regard. I want to be known for the glory of the Lord as a church in this area, even in this state, of one that's really working to help meet the needs of the poor and deal with the issue of poverty in our area and even around the world. Man, I can't think of a greater thing to glorify God with. Father, I I thank you for these moments. I, I thank you that you've placed me in this place to teach this and preach on this kind of a subject. It's not easy for us to hear sometimes, but at the same time, we want to be serious about you and we believe this is a serious issue on your heart. Lord, help us to feel the weight of that. Father, I ask you to forgive us of our closed eyes. Forgive us of that. Help us to open our eyes now. Father, forgive us of the attitude of cynicism where we've just categorized all those in these issues of poverty and have withdrawn the kind of help that we could possibly give. Forgive us of that and open up ways by which we can truly engage. And Father, give us discernment of not to be enablers, to not just to help somebody continue in their self-destructive path. Help us to see when we've got to pull back. But Father, help it be that our great desire is that we're going to do this to at least one of the least of these of Jesus Christ because we know when we've done it to them we have done it to you and it's for your praise and glory and honor we want to do this today open up our eyes to the pathways and give us the courage and the confidence and the faith to move forward as you lead help us as a church to be that kind of church in Jesus name amen amen God bless you